0: Well, I thought we'd start the show today with a letter uh, that I got. I've been getting a lot of mail from you guys, and when I can read them on the show, I will. Like, for example, now. Uh, This is from Erica from San Francisco. Erica writes, Dear Alex, I love Stereo Embers, the podcast. It's by far my favorite podcast out there. Oh, Erica, thank you for that nice comment. I appreciate that, but she's not done. (laughs) Uh, She goes on to write, Alex, I've been listening to the show now for so long— I'm almost getting used to your lisp. <laughs> oh, you know what, Erica? I am too. I'm not there yet. It's going to take some time, uh, but I can visualize a day where you and I will both not even notice it. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out.
1: I drank $16 for the rice the tried to find a girl. To talk to the one I asked her for a dance Not a second glance My night had just begun But well, I drink to the Father of the Holy Ghost i yeah. feeling at the altar of my nightly post So I'll raise a glass not the first nor last Come join me in this tough Because the old black rum got a hold on me Like a dog rat found the- Hey, I live for another day? Well, the queen of George Street is just walking by, walking on by with some guy who don't care that she stood in line since half past nine and spent three hours on her hair. I said something to the George Street Queen. All the boys are joining in because the old black rum got a hold on me like a dog wrapped round my leg. And the old black rum got a hold on me, but I live for another day. Hey, but I live for another hey, day say, say, because the old.
0: That is the music of Great Big C, a band which featured my guest today on the program, Alan Doyle. Let me tell you a little bit about Alan Doyle. All right, so Alan Doyle is one of those guys who, when you read his – I almost said when you read his LinkedIn profile, but I would have meant resume. When you read his resume, you think to yourself, I haven't done much with my life. Maybe watching all those episodes of Magnum was a bad gamble. Look, Alan Doyle gets the job done, and then when he's done getting that job done, he starts another job, and then he gets that job done too. Yeah, he's that guy. All right, let me just back up a little bit and give you some background. The Newfoundland-born Alan Doyle was a member of the beloved Newfoundland-born band, Great Big C. They put out nine studio albums, all of which went all kinds of gold and platinum, and from 1996 to 2016, they were the sixth best-selling Canadian band in Canada. They called it a day in 2015, and since then, unsurprisingly, Alan Doyle has stayed very busy, indeed. Why? Well, because he's pretty much always been busy, and he's used to it. As a kid, he appeared as an extra in the Farley Moat movie, A Whale for the Killing. As a teen, he played in his uncle's band, The New Sandels. And in addition to his work with GBS, he put a record out with Russell Crowe, acted in movies alongside Crowe, Kate Blanchett, Will Smith, and Colin Farrell, acted in TV shows like Republic of Doyle and Murdoch Mysteries, produced an album for his sister, composed music for the CBC's Hatching, Matching, and Dispatching, put out a couple of solo records, wrote a book called Where I Belong about his youth in Newfoundland, and he collaborated with Canadian country artist Dean Brody. And guess what? There's more. But we're running out of time, so go to LinkedIn, type in Alan Doyle, and uh, check (laughs) check out who he is. All right, let me put it this way about Alan Doyle. He is so busy and so prolific that in 2017, he was named a member of the Order of Canada. He was cited for his contributions to the music traditions of his home province and for his commitment to numerous charitable initiatives. And there's new Alan Doyle music, which I'll tell you all about on the other side of this podcast. But for now, let's chat with Mr. Doyle, shall we? Enjoy this conversation with me and Alan Doyle right here on Stereo Embers the podcast.
2: It, like it, it lives in the music community, you know, where the bands, you know, all kind of realized years ago that, you know. The rising tide floats all the boats, you know, as they say, and you know if one band is doing well in in Toronto or in Vancouver and you know Seattle or whatever, that's good for everybody, you know it sort of paves a road for everybody else and that kind of business and, but it really lives that kind of community lives far outside of music as well. I mean you know when you're from an isolated rock in the middle of the ocean, first of all, you need everybody from the neighboring towns you need to get along, you need to help each other constantly, you know it's just and then you're also a, often a beacon in the in storm, right? We're, we're the port in the storm up here, and that's been time and time and time again over the history of the place where ships, you know, wandered off the track and ended up taking refuge in one of our harbors, or even on 9/11, you know, when uh, you know the skies emptied on into small parts of New Zealand, and um, you know, so we've been playing, uh, we've been playing community and playing. You know, hospital neighbor for to each other and to the world for literally centuries.
0: Yeah, and so music is all music and community are both born out of necessity.
2: Yes, and you know, I've said for the longest while about growing up in a small fishing town like I did in Newfoundland. You know, I was born into the the musical family of the town, the Doyles, right? And so almost every town has one, right? And because if you wanted someone to play for a dance on Friday night, 50, 100 years ago, 80 years ago, you had to play for it yourself. You know, there was nobody driving through um, on their, you know, national tour, stopping into Petty Harbor, Newfoundland in the 50s. You know, the way that would have happened, you know, almost everywhere in the United States, and Ontario and some parts of Canada, like, you know, that notion by the 1950s, even that, you know, that that a bus might stop any day and there's a band playing at the hall or something, you know, that, ne- that would never happen where I'm from. So you had to make it yourself. And yeah, so if you wanted music, you had to make your own music. And if you wanted, uh, you know, same as you did with food and, and water and, and everything else, so music was whatever we had to do, we had to do it ourselves.
0: Yeah. And a lot of those old salty dogs, they're sort of grounded in the real roots of the place. And so they don't they don't really cross genres. But in your career, you have. um, and, and that's very cool that you've, you know, musical theater, country music, writing a book. I mean, you've you've definitely not been afraid to branch out.
2: Super fun to branch out, you know. And I mean, I was really the first generation of, of I was born in 1969. Right. So I was. You know, uh, my young life was very much like my father's young life into the late 1970s and early 1980s, and then, you know, by by the mid 1980s, when I was a teenager, you know, I, I could see MTV and 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 I could see those things on television, and so I was, you know, you know, even though I I was born into a traditional Celtic kind of music background. I like Death Leopard and Whitesnake in 1984, just like everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, <laughs> So the two things got combined. And then I've just had a real lucky kind of artistic life where m- many of my friends um, who work in television or film or theater or books or anything often ask me to be part of a project that they're doing. And I'm so lucky that way to get them. Most of my things outside of live music have been – At the invitation of someone else, so how lucky is that?
0: Really lucky, and it also makes me think again that community and having like-minded friends uh, who are, you know, are artistic um, is certainly a great a great thing to have.
2: As you say too, I think it's part of like in Newfoundland, the population was never big enough to have exclusively a music scene, scene or population, if you will, or or actors or or painters or dancers or whatever. So a a lot of those circles intersected, you know what I mean? And I think, as you said, there was a time in the 60s, I think, in in San Francisco when musicians and poets and dancers and actors all ran in the same circles, you know, and weren't perhaps as isolated as they are these days.
0: Yeah, those people are gone because they can't afford to live here anymore.
2: Yeah, it's happening. I mean, that kind of gentrification of, of, you know— Moving artists from from the city to some other place is happening in perhaps you know it's definitely happening in Vancouver and it's happening in Toronto and but you know what I mean that's not new art right I mean that happened in Paris for God's sake you know hundreds hundred years ago and then it it, what always ends up happening is run something else pops up doesn't it they all go somewhere else and you know like in L A everyone went to Topanga or whatever and then that became cool right (laughs) and then. What's happening a lot in in a lot of my friends uh, from Toronto, for example, who are in the music business and had studios and all that kind of thing in Toronto, and now it's become so expensive that significant amounts of them have moved to Montreal. Montreal's cheaper and still a big urban environment, and and you know, so just that migration, I think, is even though it's much lamented. I wish Toronto and San Francisco or wherever weren't becoming. So expensive that artists couldn't live there.
0: That migration is not new. I don't think. I think you're right. It keeps the the map keeps getting redrawn. I think so. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I think you're right. I think you're right about that. Yeah, because I mean, it happened in New York too. I mean, in the '80s. Um, totally. You know, you and I are the same age, and so when you say White Snake and Def Leppard, I remember my dusty old cassettes. Uh, yeah, we. Man. We are of, of the same vintage, um, and so this is a selfish question, but how how are you doing, getting older? How are because I need to know how I'm doing too. I'm not so sure sometimes.
2: <laughs> By comparison, how are you doing? Uh, oh, I'm lucky, man. You know because I you know I I, uh, I still get to be in concerts for a living and and get on a tour bus with. Uh, I used to be the youngest one out. now. I'm getting close to the oldest one, out. <laughs> and uh, um, it's that keeps you young and it keeps. And it, I think mentally and spiritually being a touring musician keeps you young, you know, just as a mindset, but then physically you, you kind of have to stay healthier than you might otherwise. Right. Because, you know, it's hard, you know, like it's, it's a hard thing to, to do, you know, 18 or 20 concerts in three weeks and, and drive over and out of the bus. And you kind of got to be a little bit more limber than you would if you were, uh, had a desk job or something. I, I, I suspect. And, you know, if you're going to make it to your fifties, as a touring band, you somehow managed to, uh, you know, to, uh, if not fully avoid then most times avoid the pitfalls of, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll and all that stuff. I mean, you, you, you you would have had to have found a way to be mentally and physically healthy on the road to make it into the 27th or 28th year, I think.
0: Right. Right. Because the, the 22 year old version of, you or me uh, would go, what's that guy talking about? But there has to have come a point where you must have realized like, well, I need to take care of myself if I want to keep this going.
2: Yeah. yeah I mean, it really happened for me in my forties, you know, which, you know, I had 20 years almost into it then when, when I just went like, Oh, look at that. Am, I'm five pounds heavier for some reason. I didn't do anything <laughs> different than I did in my thirties, <laughs> but look at that now. And you know, the big thing I noticed now, honesty is, just some, uh, how somehow tired I can get. Yeah, you, I, I don't think I got tired once in my twenties or thirties, like ever. Like I just, I just did whatever was on the feet and ignored the time zones and just there there. Never really occurred to me. And then somewhere in my mid forties, I I could feel the difference in going from San Francisco to Newfoundland, like hard, you know, like and like L.A. to Newfoundland, that four and a half hour time difference affects me now in a way it didn't when I was younger, but you know, I still manage and, and and it's probably ultimately good for us to uh to to recognize that we need to uh take care of ourselves. It'll give us an extra decade, I hope.
0: Yeah. Well I mean I, I grew up worshiping the pogues, but it never occurred to me that, you know, Shane McGowan yeah. wasn't what he was doing was probably not uh in terms of like he wasn't playing the long game, I guess you would say. <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah. Although you know what? Still, they go. I saw the uh, the Pokes, um, oh, I was five or six years ago. Now I saw them in Australia, and we played a festival together, and they were amazing. Yeah, yeah, and uh, still they go, and uh, and um, yeah, but you're right. When you're in your thirties, you never, you never think, you know, you never think that maybe I should bring some running shoes with me on the road. <laughs> <is
1: it>? Yeah, <laughs> right.
0: When I saw you guys here in San Francisco, I was so impressed. Um, by how between songs, it was so funny. And the songs themselves could be heartbreaking. And the way that you balanced, you know, the sort of the serious with the comedic was just masterfully done. And and you've always done that. And I just have always really admired that balance. Is that something that... Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, I love how you do that. And it's not, it's by the way, it's not easy. Um, are you conscious of that? And And if so... How do you balance that? I
2: was again lucky to be from a place that has lots of stories to tell, and we're generally by DNA conversationalists and storytellers and all that stuff. You know, that's so I had a leg up, I suppose, in that regard. But as a frontman friend of mine once said, when I asked him a similar question, he said, Well, Alan, that's exactly my job isn't it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, oh yes, I guess it is, yeah. <laughs> and he said, so, planning the, the set and um, knowing where spontaneity is a good place for it and knowing when, how to, you know, arc a, arc a performance so that the sadness doesn't overtake the joy and that it's not all joy so then there's no joy at all because it all feels, you know, and then that's all part of the stagecraft of it that over years you kind of, recognize, you know, the rises and falls of how you want an evening to go. And if you're lucky enough, like I am now with a band that's very, you know, nimble, that that you, you, you plan for a show and you walk out on stage and you realize, oh, no, that's not the show they want at all. <laughs> and then you have to change and then you have to adapt on your feet. And you realize perhaps early on in the show that this crowd really likes the stories. So let's tell a few more stories. Or maybe you realize this crowd wants to dance. And whereas, like, I wouldn't want you to think I don't enjoy it and, and I don't, like, um, love it and I don't uh, uh, um, sort of do it instinctually in a way. But it's also – I also think it's, part, it's my job. You know, that's exactly my job. People paid tickets. People paid money to come have a good night out, and it's my job to give them a good night out. That is my job.
0: And, I mean, also part of the job, what you're saying, is that you have to read the room. Totally. That's your job, <laughs> you know. My
2: guitar player guy, you know, buddy, you know, his job is to make sure that the effects are right on his pedals when we go to the solo in the middle thing. I don't have time to do any of that. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'm too busy making sure I got the set list right and making sure people are loving it, and, you know. And if again, if the show I plan doesn't seem to be the right one to do, then how do I shift it and make it so that it is, you know? Which is, you know, a, a, a um. Uh, it was sort of a, a comfort that's available to people who play live music and maybe stand-up comedians, and that's about it, you know? Yeah, yeah. When they did a, I remember bringing my friends to see a movie that I'd been in, so we had, like, kind of our own little private – not you know, our own – my own personal movie launch or whatever. And they were just standing there before the movie came out being terrified because what if they don't like it? There's <laughs> nothing I can do. Nothing. Like, someone's going to hit play, and then that's it. Like <laughs> – if it's terrible, it's terrible, can and you know and so there's that's that's an interesting thing that I've never really had to deal with in my adult life, my performing life. I've always had the option to roll with the punches right,
0: so there is any elasticity to a live performance that you don't get from a filmed performance?
2: I definitely you know I mean, of course, I mean and you know and the best the best front guys for bands in the in history have been great at that, right. You know, you watch Freddie Mercury at Live Aid, you know, and just watch when he decides to engage the crowd and when he doesn't, and watch watch Bono or you know those guys or Springsteen about deciding where to string songs together and where to talk and when not to, or even go back to some of the most influential stuff in my Celtic life, as you say, like from the Pogues and stuff. And one of the biggest influential bands in my life was the Clancy Brothers. Mm. Like they, you know, they were. And go watch like old YouTube videos or whatever of Liam Clancy addressing the crowd, and it's masterful. Like it's just he's got them before he opens his mouth. For God's sake, you
0: know, it's right? Just like, it's amazing. Yeah. How how do you feel about bands that really don't even address the crowd at all? Like I always loved the Waterboys. I, I imagine you might have been a Waterboys fan at one point too. Yeah.
2: Yes. Amazing. Yeah.
0: What amazing. But not a guy who really. Address the audience that much, at least in those early days um and again, that's part of the job but but to sort of i- don't want to say ignore the crowd because that's not really what's going on but yeah. you know well,
2: the show that I do is not the show that everyone does you know and and uh, like the last time I saw the Waterboys just to talk about them for a second they they uh they wore these three way masks for part of it It was amazing <laughs> you know? so like, uh, you know and there are lots of bands and performers that uh have something that's engaging in some other way right like you know and, and that so talk is not part of it you know or that kind of thing it's perhaps it's you know i'm not sure dylan does a bunch of yakking about his lunch when he's uh, <laughs> up on stage you know but uh, unless he likes the local coffee shop you know but that's up to dylan i mean he's great i mean but that's, that's not how i like to do it and uh, let's not say my way is better than anyone else's it's just how I like I I always liked when I saw bands when I was a kid where I knew that they were I knew that they knew they were in my town and that made me feel special you know because probably because I'm from a small place you know and I wanted people who were from the mainland or from Canada or whatever to, uh, to 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 acknowledge where they were and it made me feel good to hear that and I just always talk about it and then you know it's uh you know there's, and there's there's other there's lots of ways there's lots of ways to give people a good night out i mean I, rem- I remember listening to nirvana's unplugged record yeah you know that that famous MTV performance remember remember that
0: oh sure
2: i remember that was the, that was the first time i ever went oh oh these guys are awesome <laughs> yeah i've been I've kind of ignored this for because was six or seven years in, wouldn't you say?
0: Yeah, it was about, you
2: know, yeah. Like, oh, something like that anyway. Two or three records anyway, wasn't it? Yeah. Something like that. And and I remember just going like, oh my gosh, these songs are amazing. These songs are, and like, and the whole, a lot of the coming out of a hair metal, glam metal upbringing like I had, and trad music. When grunge came along and it was, you know, the stare at your sneakers bands, even though I love some of the songs, like I couldn't have been more disinterested to go to one of those concerts. Like, you know, couldn't care less to go watch that at eight o'clock on Friday night, you know, which was foolish in retrospect because the music was probably powerful enough or whatever, but that was my own shortcoming. But that's, yeah, it's just, I mean, the long way to answer your question. I, I, I didn't, at one point in my life, especially I, 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 I wouldn't have been interested in going to see, you know, Sneaker gazers, as I used to call them. Guys with, uh, you know, guys with two – guys who rehearsed in their dad's two-guy garage in Orange County complaining about their life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean there's something about like also the fact that those bands wouldn't – if they weren't talking to the audience, like, you know, Kurt really wasn't doing that a lot. He was more oppositional. Um, But, I mean, that was part of the shtick too, right? That's part of the show.
2: Yeah, I mean, again, like that was for a generation – after mine that were sick and tired of the stuff their dads were listening to all these crazy guys going around with you know t- tight spandex pants on and, and, and teased hair and makeup <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, and of course I probably wouldn't love it now but you know that's just yeah I mean I um I am a sucker admittedly for uh, a good show I'm a sucker for a good front guy who tells a joke every now and again. I'm a sucker for uh, a good, you know, just like I am a sucker for good singing. You know, like I just, uh, I always say it's one of my shortcomings as well. I, I will listen to worse music sung better. <laughs> you know, and I will. It's just I come like from a singing background, you know. It's just like, you know, I'll listen to, uh, you know, like my, my joke for years was, yep, don't have any Dylan records, but I have Michael Bolton records. <laughs> that I'm not saying that like it's a plus. <laughs> I'm saying I'm confessing this to the world that I'm a sucker for good singers. A sucker for
0: How did you like uh Joe Elliott uh from Def Leppard? I mean what, how did you like him? It was as fucking a amazing. <laughs> yeah.
2: I know. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> like from them you know, I just uh I mean that I mean that whole thing was it just happened right at the influential time in my life, right when You know, Bob Rock and and, uh, a few other other great rock producers had just figured out all those multi-tracking vocals and massive kick drum sounds and all that kind of stuff that was happening in the 1980s, reverbs as long as a hockey rink on guitars and stuff, and just big stadium rock shows with some... Crazy guy running around, I loved it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you and I are 13 years old, and Pyromania comes out, and it's like nothing's come on, the same, man. <laughs> right? Van
2: Halen, come on, yeah. I was like, are you kidding me? This yeah, like, hot for teacher. That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and the thing is, Alan, those records just kept coming out. It was like one after the other. You know, it was oh, like yeah. they were great.
2: Well, plus it was, you know. um. It was really the eighties glam now. I would say really too. Sort of took advantage of a partnership with television like no other music form before. You know, they just instantly became this notion that we could put music on television all day long. So they all went, "Yeah, yes, you can." Here's another one. Here's another video. Here's another record. Here's another. You know, with whatever go through the decade or two with whatever taste of the day you'd like to have in music videos we'll do that for you as long as you buy our records and so they were they were amazing at that I think in retrospect.
0: Yeah and there's a there was a real performative theatrical even looking at Van Halen I mean David Lee Roth was doing this sort of like you know Vegas theater thing even back in 84 um yeah. you know, Freddie Mercury doing this a operatic thing. Um, like you the know, ringmaster. I was called,
2: the, I was called the ringmaster, like the guy at the circus, you know, like children of all ages, ladies and gentlemen. You know, yeah. Like, yeah, right. That's right. the kind of guy, that's the kind of guy I, you know, and then even like a, sort of a, a brushstroke later than that, when I saw Springsteen or Bono or whatever, and to a certain degree, Freddie Mercury, but he was even so much more amazing than everyone that but. Even like Bono and Springsteen, like the the weight of their presentation and their kind of speaking in between songs was so engaging and heavy and cool. And, yeah, I liked it. Well, the dawn won't be easy. Or-
1: It's gonna hurt when the sun starts to rise But it's alright, it's alright We're gonna love tonight Might not like what tomorrow we'll find Might be bruises we just can't disguise But it's alright, it's alright We're gonna love tonight Oh, 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 we got night. But it's all right, it's all right
0: For you, when you are trying all these different kinds of genres or doing something different, is there – because you come across as a very confident guy. Is there ever a part of you that's sort of artistically terrified? (laughs) (laughs) 24-7.
2: I'm dead serious. I go like, you know, I'm constantly – like people still ask me if I get nervous before concert leave. I I go like every single night. Like, some people got babysitters to come here, man. Like, some people got on airplanes to come to my concerts. Jesus, what if I suck? <laughs> you know? And One of the things that I was like, what are, what are the things that, one of the biggest contributing factors that make any show I do that's good is the constant knowledge that I could shag it up at any second. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and there's also, you know, when you step outside, you know, to write books or be on movie sets or, Whatever, yeah, that rush of uh being out of your comfort zone is terrifying and thrilling at the same time right I mean I, you know i I've even started verbalizing it lately as as following I like some people got hired me last year to produce the kids record and ended up winning the Juno for the the Canadian Grammy for best kids record and they but anyway they 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 asked they wanted me to produce their record and I said well like, you know when I, I'll do a song and, and if you like it great we'll do the thing but if you don't you know don't to pay me or anything I don't know, it will just be any good or not let's just do it <laughs> so I did it and they you know then we had a little meeting with them and their manager about you know they were, we were just discussing whether or not we would do the whole project and and I said at the end of it I said listen guys I want to be clear about something I only want to do this because I don't know how. Like, if I knew how to do this, I probably wouldn't be interested in this. Right. The fact that I have no idea how to do this is why I want to do it.
0: So you, you like to sort of challenge yourself to figure something yeah. out. And yeah. And like
2: to, to, I, I love wandering in circles that are well-established that I don't know anything about and that I bring all these, you know, influences and experiences <coughs> that came with me that are completely different for that genre. Like, for example, I'm, I'm helping to, to part of the creative team for a new musical up here in Atlanta, Canada. And of course, I don't know anything about musical theater, like very little. I mean, I've got a lot, I like don't see it stuff and like when there's good songs and good singers, but I don't know, like, as I said to my director friend, I don't know where anyone should stand or anything like that. But, <laughs> of course, so I'm going into this world where like commissioned work is a big deal. And often, and I was, you know, and it's like, well, we need a piece here. It's like, yeah, you need a song. Yes, yeah, so we need some vocal parts. And it's like, yeah, a song. You, you need a song. So it's, let's just write a song. Yes, yeah, so what do you think? It's like, let's just write a song. Like, the way we would in Nashville, let's just go write a song. Mm-hmm. And this afternoon, we'll have a song. And if you don't like it, tomorrow, we'll write another one. <laughs> and and they're, like, they're so not used to that kind of, well, like the, like the way, they, you know, in Nashville, for example, because they spit out songs three a day well used to a lot of them being shitty, right? And no one liking them. So in the musical theater world, however, it's like, no, no, you commissioned a piece for the thing and it's a fancy thing. Of course, no one would give you notes on it or say that, you know, it's like, well, what if if the song I wrote is the shits? (laughs) Like, let's go write another one, you know, like, it's not like no one's going to die if my song's shitty. Like, let's go write another song. And, and, And so that kind of attitude of like, fire away at the notes love to get them trust me <laughs> you know <laughs> and th- that's a refreshing thing so in that world i to learn
0: so you sound like someone who is good at taking notes I mean you don't get offended no I demand them actually
2: yeah I don't so- want to work with anyone who doesn't give me
0: notes because it feels like what's they're not the being point? honest right it feels like they're holding something back maybe
2: well it's just like what's, what's, well, what's the point of that partnership if I did exactly what I felt like and you said that's amazing and then we went all the way home I might as well have done it myself like you know, it's like, I love, I'm one, like, I'm one of the guys, I'm not the only guy, but I'm one of the guys that likes co-writing a song more than writing a song. It's more fun.
0: The collaborative element for you is, yeah. is much more fun.
2: Way more fun. Yeah, that's, I mean, but, you know, and again, not everyone's like that, and that's fine, too. You know, it's just, I, I didn't get in to the music business or into the arts to sit in a room by myself to make stuff. It's a collaborative thing and like I I mean that's what's thrilling for me is getting a group of passionate, interested, excited, eager people to work on a project, a song, a book, a musical, a concert, a
0: band, whatever, and then you know, and then see it through and
2: then move on to the
1: next
0: thing. It's fantastic. I mean, for people who listen to the show that are aspiring musicians, don't you think it's important and instructive to let them know you have to write shitty songs? Like, that's part of the process.
2: Certainly it was for me. It still is. <laughs> um, well, and I think it's a good point to make in the era of, uh, you know, like American Idols and, and, and that kind of thing where, where you might have the great misfortune of the 10th or 11th of time you ever sang in public in your life beyond national television. Uh, you know, being judged by people and all that kind of stuff. And I think it was Dave Grohl. I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it was Dave Grohl who described that whole thing as here's how it should go. And I'm paraphrasing, but with apologies to Dave Grohl, there's something along the lines of when you're 13, you should get your uncle's guitar and go with your buddies and your dad's garage and you should suck. And you should play for three months and be awful. And then on the fourth month, like, you play one of the songs you've been playing, and it's not that bad. You know, one of the ten songs is actually not that bad, and then, then you're only a little bit. And that goes on. And like, but the first two hundred and fifty times you put on a guitar with your friends, you should be terrible. Like that's terrible. Like that, and that's such a wonderful thing, you know, like to, to do that. When certainly, when I was a kid, of course, it doesn't. No one ever heard you.
0: <laughs> right, right, and, and it's good to sort of you know, even for me as a writer, I know. When I'm writing something, I go. I know I'm not going to use this, but just going That's through fine, the yeah. motion, right?
2: Get it done, yeah, yeah. And like I, I you know, in a couple of books that I've written, I've just finished chapters on in books where I knew either I knew and it was my idea, and I just thought I'll just finish this because then it'll be done, and I'll put it in the in the cupboard there, and I'll never use it. Or even in a couple of cases, like where editors. Asked me to see their idea through, and I knew that I was never going to allow it. I was like, "Yeah, well, I'm going to. I'll finish writing this because you asked me to, but this is not going to be my book. I wouldn't even say that out loud. I'd just go do it, and then it'll be done. At least then I couldn't be accused of not doing it." Right? <laughs> like, you know, there, there is a um, there is a benefit to singing stuff when you're a singer, even if it's bad stuff. There is a benefit to writing stuff when you're a writer even if it's bad stuff there's a you know i think i think that, I think that's true for many if not all the arts and, and you know you know I would even go so further to say this like if you think that some of the greatest songwriters in our history are not capable of writing a terrible song, then you're a foolish <laughs> you know <laughs> It's like, if you're a fool. if you don't think that, you know, I won't say anyone because I might meet them and they'll get mad at me. But <laughs> if you don't think that, you know, that one of the greatest writers that's touring in their world right now is not capable of writing a terrible piece of music, then that's fools. They certainly are. And if you look at a few of their recent records, there's probably lots of them on there. Right. And, uh, you know, just because they wrote it doesn't mean it's great. You
0: know, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know, you know, some of my favorite writers, you know, authors, some of their books are ghastly. Um, but, yeah. you know, it's it's important, I think, to have that out there and to take those swings and, and to give it a shot. Um, I, I think it's important.
2: Yeah, especially in music. I mean, I don't know about books and movies and all that stuff. Movies definitely is probably one, isn't it? That would be because it's such a complicated medium. And to bat a thousand as a director, for example, it's almost impossible. Right. 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 It's almost impossible maybe it's impossible I don't know but like yeah I mean with songs especially because we, we do so many of them right and you know someone's got their 24th record out there and you don't think there's a bad song on one of those records <laughs> 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 I suspect you're probably listening with a filter that's not that
0: <laughs> that's not accurate no you're sort of defaulting to them as a deity and that's a dangerous thing to do yeah wow
2: well, yeah, that's amazing and he it I was like yeah is it now <laughs>
0: <laughs> Are, um, when you go back over your own discography, do you, can do you go? Uh, I'll, you know, oh God, I, yes, you do. Oh, constantly. Oh my God, yeah. Well, especially like,
2: because I'm so freaking old now that like I listen to things that I wrote as a younger person. You know that's so so clearly written by a younger person who thinks. You know, we think when you're writing your first few songs that you need to write songs about how to change the world, and this crime writing <laughs> right here now is going to be really important, and people are going to take me very seriously. And, you know, and then as you get older, you realize that you should probably just write a song about a cup of tea or something. You know, that's probably,
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: that's probably enough, you know, like, <laughs> well, that's enough for a song. I mean, and, I mean, uh, not
0: not to depress everyone who's our age, uh, Alan, but there's something about the youthful sexual energy that gets translated into artistic energy that is out of control.
2: Uh, well, I, I think of the biggest thing when I look back at some of my own work, and is that like there's kind of a what's the best way to describe it? Like a not a self-importance, but like some kind of delusion that. Or or default position that if I'm writing a song, then it has to make a massive statement, right? 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 I have to talk about the, the, the politicians or something, or I have to. If I want to be taken seriously as a writer, I need to write about the war or you know <laughs> global something. <laughs> it's like you know, like now, geez, now I write a song. Now I'll, I'll literally write a song about <laughs> my dog's leash. That's enough for me. <laughs> A glass of Pepsi,
0: like that's fine, <laughs> that's not no. Yeah the 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 compelling Doyle composition about his dog's leash.
2: Yeah, like that's the guy. It's like, because uh, you, know, you go you go through stages, don't you, in your life, where it's like where well, you want to be seen as someone who has an opinion about important things, right? And the last thing in the world you would say is a thirty year old, for example, is like, "What do you think about, say, Donald Trump?" And the last thing in the world you'd say is, "Well, I don't know," you know. Maybe it's complicated. Maybe it's uh, maybe it's got kind of, you know things like the presidency are a little more complicated than a fellow who plays in a band for a living uh, uh, can't quite comprehend without some serious uh, pause and reflection. And I haven't done that, so I'm not going to give you my you know that kind of thing. Right. I'm totally comfortable saying that now. You know, I was like, what do you think about the you know the coronavirus? What the fuck do I know about the coronavirus? You know, like. <laughs> I don't know, like, like a bachelor of arts. I don't know anything about that. You know, like Whereas I would have never said that when I was 30. And I'd be like, well, I'll tell you right now. Right. You know, like, and <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, you're getting old. I, I, here's how I define it sometimes. So it's like You know, you're getting old when uh, <laughs> someone comes up to you and says, do you want to know a secret? And you go, no. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> Seriously, no one else knows this. Good. Please do not tell me. Don't yeah. not want to.
0: don't. Yeah, too heavy for me to carry that around. I don't no. want anything to do with that. No, 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 no.
2: No. Don't have, want to know nothing. Do I absolutely have to know it? Then no, I don't I don't want to.
0: <laughs> Have you found that our at our age it's easier to say no than it's ever been?
2: It doesn't come easy to me, I confess. Uh, and I might be different in that. I think it is, you know, when you get in your 50s, probably, you know, people's guest lists start to shorten, don't they? And they, uh, they're more content to have less friends than more friends. And they don't really want to open the floodgates, you know. to the whole, But I'm, I'm kind of different that way. I might be the oddity there where nothing terrifies me like a closed door, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and um, I still find it hard to say no to new and exciting and things. I, I, and I know that I need to. Because you know, just by the nature of being in the biz for a while you get asked to do more things than, than you can and, and so no is the thing I'm working on. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't mean to turn this in, I didn't mean to turn this into a therapy, a self a self help session. You know, <laughs> but what you do?
0: No. I wanna know. I mean because I have always been terrible at saying no and then I find myself yeah. in situations where I go, Boy, a simple no would have gotten me out of this one.
2: Oh my God! You're, you're singing my song, man. It's like, why didn't I just say no? Why didn't I say no? Why did I say yes? Why did I say yes? Like, why, and and yeah, but you know, that's the curious cat, isn't
0: it? It it really is, yeah. Or someone will ask me something, and I'll say yes. In my brain, I'm going, no, 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 say no. <laughs>
2: and the word, and you're like, it, it all it all is no until it to the very end of your tongue and then somehow your your lips make a y sound
0: <laughs> yeah it converts to yes uh i know <laughs> which is you know um i'm really excited about this ep and how does it feel to be you know on the eve of its release a couple you have a couple i at least in the u.s you have a couple of uh weeks before it hits but um is, does it still have that same excitement of unleashing something new to the world
2: always has you know um with records and and books or whatever the records, you know, especially because, you know, you work the really little slices of yourself, right? And, and, and you just, you know, I'm sure there are confident, you know, people out there who make records and they're happy with it themselves and they legitimately don't care if anyone likes it or not. Good on them, you know, but that ain't me. I, you know, I'm dying to give people a good night out and I want to, when people to hear, when people hear the new songs, I want them to go, she said, I'd like to go see that in person. I'd yeah. go see him do that because that this thing holds this this thing reads like a great night out. So let's go have a great night out with him. And, and so yeah, there's always a nervous energy, and then, especially like you say, and when you're you're trying new things constantly, and you know I've done stuff differently over the years where you know. Did a whole bunch of traditional music and Celtic music, and then put out a record that you know was very poppy, and then I put out a record that was very much like a live band, and this one's very country in places, and and uh, yeah, so I've taken <laughs> I've taken people on a ride that they might not have expected <laughs> when yeah. they signed on at the pub in 1994, but I'm lucky they stuck with me so far, so I'm grateful.
0: Is there, in terms of future plans and future left turns that you might – in your brain, do you think, oh, I'd like to go to that place or I'd like to go – I mean, I'm not saying you're going to do a Def Leppard tribute band, but
2: uh, – so what, what if I could? Trust <laughs> me. If I could sing high enough <laughs> or play guitar fast enough, this last 20 years would have been quite different.
0: <laughs> I mean, are are there things that you'd like to try? I'm sure there are. Oh, Yeah
2: collaborations with people from different walks of musical life would be incredible, you know, like, and, but, you know, I, in my touring life and just by the nature of it, you have to make plans so far in advance, you know, like, where are you going to go when you're going to go there, try to book the theaters or the clubs or whatever. And So musically I try not to look too far ahead, you know, I just go like, look, I don't like to plan that stuff that much. I don't like I I, I like this for the songs to to come in whatever form that we are in. You know, like this one, I wrote a bunch of songs for my friends in Nashville, and they felt like they sounded like country songs. So well, let's make country songs. That's cool with me. awesome. Maybe next time they will be more rock and roll, or maybe next time they'll be very Celtic, folky, you know, and I'm content for them to live, you know, in whatever world that they want to live in and see Buck and sing them in them. You know, and that's that's good enough a test for me.
0: Um, have you found that it's easy to maintain friendships in this industry or is it is it challenging I've certainly never found it challenging you know and I don't know many
2: people who have to be honest with you you know um, you know I've never spent a lot of time you know battling for the number one or two position on the pop chart or anything you know what I mean so it's not like and not like uh, you know I needed someone else to fail for me to succeed you know and and so I've always just felt really lucky to be in the community at all, you know, and still do, you know, and, uh, and so uh, I'm grateful when I get a chance to meet exciting, crazy people who <laughs> live in the earth. <laughs> and and uh, I uh, genuinely am charmed to be a part of it, to be honest with you, and enjoy crazy people's company.
0: Yeah, I, I I do too. Uh, Alan, I've wanted to chat with you for about 20 years, so it feels really cool that two 50-year-old guys just get together and have a have a chat about <laughs> the world. I yeah, mean, I love it. <laughs> well, when I'm in San Francisco, come on, we'll have a punch. I'd love to. Um, I will absolutely come by and say hello, and and thank you for your generosity of your time. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah,
0: all good, man. Nice to talk to you. Talk soon. I know I know I screwed that up My my producer is telling me I forgot to mention at the beginning of the program that Alan Doyle is a 12-time Juno Award nominee and a Juno Award winner I I didn't I didn't feel that was important to mention for some strange reason I was like oh don't forget uh, Alan Doyle was an extra in the Farley Moat movie when he was six years old he's the kid in the snow (laughs) don't Don't miss that. Don't miss that detail, because somehow I thought that was more important to mention than winning a Canadian Grammy. Uh, Alan Doyle's website, alandoyle.ca. The .ca means, that's right, he's Canadian. Alan Doyle will be kicking off a U.S. tour starting April 28th in Seattle. That tour will be supporting his new EP, Rough Side Out, and he'll be coming to a town near you. Go to his website, buy his music, and uh, support Alan Doyle. Okay? All right. As for me, go to my website, alexgreenonline.com. Wait, I sounded a little bullying there. <laughs> go to my website. <laughs> a little pushy. Go to my website. See what I'm doing. I'm cooler than Alan Doyle. No, I'm not. Uh, Alan Doyle has a tremendous LinkedIn profile. Mine uh, mine just says, uh, finished high school, never got rid of the clothes. Uh, go to my website, alexgreenonline.com, and uh, see what's up with me. But if you're a fan of the show, I'll be talking about it nonstop here, but I still want you to go to the website because, uh, you know, it makes me feel a little extra love that uh, in my life uh, is something I could use. Jeez, uh, whoa. That's <laughs> maybe a little too much at the end of the show. Let's let's pull it back. I don't need that extra love. I have plenty of love. Uh, I really. So, you know, go to the website. Anyway, uh, look, (laughs) the show is ending and I have things to tell you. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use. Subscribe to our show. uh, Leave a nice comment. Tell all your friends. We would certainly appreciate it. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast. Or if you're one of those old-fashioned type folks, you know – that uh, uses email, go ahead and email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Thank you, as always, for listening to the program. Uh, Let's close things off with another new song from Alan Doyle's EP, Rough Side Out. This is done with the Canadian country star, Dean Brody. It's called We Don't Want to Go Home, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So, listen, have a great week, and I'll see you next time right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast only on bombshell radio
1: it's so late it's early but it feels just right no rush no hurry don't you turn on the lights our best bud davy's got a girl on the dance floor bet you he blows it mary's little scary when she's singing a song and everybody knows it. It's been a long, long time since we had a night like this. Or maybe it's a morning, so hell. Stick around for the table and another one too, and a shot for yourself, sir. And if a cop comes knocking, Since we had a night like this Maybe